Well, 2023, back for another episode of Commentator's Corner. It's episode number 15, and I've got the pleasure of a man that I've worked alongside many a time. Hello, Mr. Daniel Gilligan. Good to have you on the show. Hello, Alex. Yes, it's uh, very it's very nice to be on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And, and firstly, thanks a lot to subscribing to the YouTube channel as well. You probably got a bit of a, you had a little bit of a scout around and saw what Commentator's Corner was all about. But um just really before we get into like the, the routine questions that I have for all our guests and everything, um, what, you know, what do you do apart from commentary? Is there anything else that you do? Cause we have talked, but not many people might know what else you do outside of uh, hosting or, or commentary. Is, is there anything else that you, you take pride as, as part of your working ethos, so to speak? Yeah, so there's there's quite a few things. So I, um, well, I say that as if I'm inundated with work all of the time. I'm not. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> it's often famine rather than feast uh, for me. But uh, but yeah, I, I work totally freelance these days uh, since mm-hmm. May last year, um, and and that's been very very freeing for me because my main career, if you like, is uh, working as an actor. Uh, so I've. Um, you know, when, when I've been in full-time jobs before or even part-time jobs, uh, you, an awful lot of your time, I think just the way that I am as a worker, I get very, uh, I, I sort of, I dive in and I throw a lot of effort into something. So that's then meant that when I've been doing these jobs that are supposed to be just giving me money, uh, between the acting jobs, I've then actually ended up putting more time into those jobs than I have done into the acting. So it's, uh, it's one of those awkward situations for me in the past, but now that I'm freelance, I've been able to much more effectively uh, manage these sorts of things. So, so acting is kind of the main thing um, that's been on on screen mostly, uh, either with with my face, um, actually in front of a camera, or in animation and voiceover and things like mm-hmm. that, or uh, or adverts and, and other bits and pieces. Uh, and then, in addition to that, I do. Um, events for uh for a for a company called klh brand advocates who uh is is owned and run by chris lawton wonderful man not just saying that because he's the paymaster uh and uh it's all about telling stories we we work with a formula one team i'm not sure if we're allowed to say which team uh so so that's why i'll just sort of err on the side of caution here uh but we work with a formula one team and um and uh, and it's essentially it's it's all about storytelling it's all about being able to immerse somebody within the culture within the ideas within the achievements <laughs> of the organization because if you simply just go over and go oh well, this car is from 19 something something and it had this many wins and it had this much horsepower and it did this and blah blah blah, blah then you know that's going to work for a certain criteria of people uh, you know a yeah. certain type of fan but if you are a sponsor or a partner or you're a prospective customer or you know whatever it happens to be then that may not work for you instead you need that human element that well this car went off and it had a very successful season but unfortunately its sister car went to pre-season testing and never came back all of a sudden you've got this intrigue there this sort of there's this something that you can then actually gravitate onto and you can listen to the stories about the team about the people behind it uh not just the drivers but the the technical personnel the people there because of course you know modern formula one teams are going to be something in the region about 800 people uh, who are all working behind the scenes in order to make that car, uh, those two, well, three, three, four cars run over the course Mm -hmm. of a season. Uh, So whilst the drivers are very, very important, they are certainly not the uh the the be all end all you know without those 800 people or so there you're not going to have uh that car to go racing and winning with so so yeah so in other words we've got our first ever thespian in terms of an actor here on commentators <laughs> course so that's a big first exactly to, to kick off 2023 in the right way um so thanks for that wonderful insight daniel um first question mm-hmm. how did you get bitten by the motorsport bug and who was the biggest influence in that happening uh very easy to answer this question uh i was four years old when i was plopped down in front of the television uh with my dad and mm. he and he's uh I'm, I'm half yorkshire and half scottish and my dad is the scottish half and so he's uh he's sat me down in front of the television so right that driver there that's david coulthard he's from the same place as us 
So that's the one that we support. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, and so him and McLaren, obviously McLaren didn't know at the time that it was set up by a New Zealander, but I just saw a team that had muck at the start. And as a four-year-old, I made the connection that, oh, it must be a Scottish team. So, you know, <laughs> let's, let's get behind them. So I've been a McLaren fan since I was four years old and uh, that's all down to my dad. Oh, brilliant. I mean, that's, that's a wonderful story. And, and also that the accent, of course, being part Scottish had to be on point. Otherwise, uh, oh, nice. a, lo- a lot of people would have gone, well, actually, it doesn't sound Scottish one iota at all. No. Um, but <laughs> moving on from that, what was the first uh, race weekend or race event that you went to trackside in terms of motorsport? So that's the thing. We've never really been in a position where we've been able to do that sort of thing, either because of geographically or um, financially or whatever it happens to be. So whilst I've been a a Formula One fan and a McLaren fan since I was four years old, so all the way back in 2000, uh, I didn't actually get to go to a race until 2018. Uh, it was the the British Grand Prix that year, uh, which was just a couple of months after I had actually started working for McLaren. Um, because before I went off to do events with uh, with KLH working for working for teams and things like that, I actually somehow managed to get a full time gig working at McLaren Formula One team. I did that for about six months. Uh, on the shop floor, making Formula One cars. It was not in events or anything like that, which my background might indicate would be where I would go. Uh, <laughs> but instead, I somehow managed to managed to wangle my way into a job. So it was uh, it was a few months in. I'd uh, the first uh, the first race debrief that we had after I got hired was for Canada. So that race weekend had just been and gone when I first came on. So so Silverstone, I was I was a few races into the team at that point, and it was uh, uh, it was uh, yeah, it was great to to be there to to feel the atmosphere and everything i've always been a hamilton fan as well mm-hmm. since since his gp2 season in uh, 2006 so uh he was um it was perhaps not the greatest weekend for for hamilton fans in that he was punted off albeit accidentally race incident uh by kimmy at the at the first corner uh but um but then seeing him i, I suppose that then gave you a greater feeling really mm-hmm. because you got that that satisfaction of seeing him then carve his way through the field, doing what Lewis does best really, which is driving angry and getting the bit mm-hmm. between his teeth and just making up as many positions as he could. And so second place by the end of it was, uh, was fantastic to, to watch. Um, so was, yeah, Silverstone was the first one and, uh, and, and hope to, to go back there at some point again in the, hopefully the near future, uh, because um, time and circumstance are making it slightly more plausible that I might be able to do that. Well, that's a really good positive thing to hear. Now, 2018, was that when Zach Brown was still in? Was, uh, that was in his early years, wasn't it, McLaren? That was his uh, his first full year as as head of the organisation, yeah, because it was 2017 was when Ron left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then Zach sort of, this as far as as far as I'm aware, at least he sort of then picked up the uh, picked up the organisation in the latter half of that year, or, or in the off season, and then um, and then has been has been riding ever since. Uh, Zach's one of those people who is just a fantastic team boss. Uh, he's the he's the sort of person you would want leading an organisation that you work for because he listens to people. Mm-hmm. He. So I was, you know, as I say, I only worked at McLaren for six months uh, before I was. Um, um sacked um but, uh, uh it was uh, it was a mutual sacking i like to say uh because it was all ended on good terms and all that sort of thing but um but uh, yeah the in that time whilst i was there during this initial i want to say three months something like that i hit upon an idea of which i'm not going to divulge the details because it was that quite like this idea uh so in yes. case they ever want to use it in the future i'm not going to say what it was but i basically <laughs> just fired an email across him and said hey I've got this idea, and uh, would you be interested in uh, reading about it? And the, and the guy, for someone who he'd never interacted with before, who was a total nobody at the bottom of the ladder in the organization, he took 30 minutes out of his incredibly busy schedule to have a one-on-one meeting with me. And so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the best sort of leader you want in an organization, someone who listens, someone who mm-hmm. actually puts in the time to to listen to their employees. And when it's a good idea... He, he says it's a good idea and it gives you that lift. And so I went into work very happy for about the next month afterwards. The big old Cheshire cat grin on your face, Mr. Gilligan, as well. But that's a one, that's a wonderful story. I mean, that, that's so great to hear. And, and like you say, I mean, whenever we see Zach 
on camera or you know he's um he's really really showcased um a great candor about himself you know he's very very easy going but we all know that when there's someone as cool and as calm and as collected as zach brown you know he's like a duck he's calm on the surface but paddling like heck behind you know behind that sort of uh that fr- front if you will um mm. how did you get into commentary dan daniel um and was there a particular person that got you involved so to speak um uh, i mean to a certain extent there was i mean so what ended up happening was essentially in in 2020 when of course the world ended uh as as we all remember uh we I, I was living in northeast London at the time because London is based. I mean, to a certain extent, Manchester and Glasgow can also do this. But as an actor in the UK, realistically, the only place you can live is London. Um, and certainly at that time, when the idea of recording an audition and sending it in was was barely even heard of. Now it's fairly industry practice. It's, we call it self tape. Uh, mm-hmm. in in the creative industry and so um and so what we ended up uh having was it was it was myself and three other actors in this house in northeast london uh a house which i'm fairly certain was illegal uh they, they, there was uh <laughs> like like an awful lot of dwellings in london it was not fit for purpose there was uh, in my room mm-hmm. in particular so my room was actually the living room uh, and I initially on moving in thought, wow, I've been able to wangle this this living room. This is fantastic. This is one of the biggest rooms in the whole house. I quickly discovered why nobody else wanted that room, because the floorboards didn't fit together. And when you looked through them, oh dear, you saw the outside world. So as a result of an evening, especially in the winter, it was very cold in that room. Um, so, uh, but, but anyway, it's getting sidetracked there. Uh, it, we, so we were then told by our landlord, they were intending to get rid of us anyway, because there were changes to the, 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 the London borough were changing their rules around a house of multiple occupation. Uh, so mm-hmm. we were, we were no longer going to be able to stay there anyway. Unless right. we had, uh, suddenly all ended a polyamorous marriage or some such thing. Uh, but, um, but uh, yeah, so we were already thinking about going as it was. I think it was, um, I think it was uh, June, maybe that we were going to be turfed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, obviously, the pandemic came along. We kind of made it through the first couple of months, okay. But then we were just like, "Can we leave in May? Can you just let us go in May? Is that fine?" Uh, and they said yes, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, the estate agents were less than pleased but that's a that's a story for another time uh and so uh and so i gathered all my stuff and i moved back in with my dad uh up just outside of glasgow in scotland uh it's the it's the house that he finally owns he's he's now finally a homeowner in his in his 50s because he was in the air force for his career up until his move to the private sector a few years ago so he he never really had anywhere to kind of lay down roots and things like that we're just moving from one military base to another um and so, and so, yeah, I ended up then living with them during the during the worst bit of COVID. Moved back down to London in September 2020. But it was whilst I was up there. Uh, is uh, I'm a I, I was a regular and still am a regular user of the Formula One subreddit. Mm-hmm. And uh, on there, they they announced the R Formula One uh, Racing League, uh, where right. it's just the idea of of getting people together during the pandemic and and enjoying sim racing together because that was basically all we had uh because you know the f1 season had been called off australia was no longer happening and all these sorts mm-hmm. of things so i basically messaged him because i was you know i'm relatively handy behind the wheel of a virtual racing car but i'm nowhere near as competitive as as actually quick people uh, mm-hmm. and it depends on the title as well you know i'm if you put me in the f1 games I, i'm probably well above average but as we discovered relatively recently on a on a sim staff event in a set of course uh, competition yes. only, i'm a bit terrible in in that game so uh, <laughs> it's uh, so i i basically messaged in saying hey i'm not the most confident of drivers uh, however I am an actor. I have a vocal performance background. I have the, the mm-hmm. knowledge of how to be able to essentially, you know, I can project to the back of the national and do it for a month uh, every single night without my voice going. So, you know, yeah. the idea of doing a race for an hour, hour and a half is, uh, is, is I, I thought at the time, at least having zero experience in it at this point, <laughs> uh, I thought to myself, this will be child's play. This will be easy. Uh, and, uh, and so the mod who was, or then mod, who, uh, who's no longer with the mod team at R Formula One, uh, who's uh, Flip Jakobsen, 
Uh, he's uh, again lovely chap, Brazilian as well. So we had uh, we had a bit of a connection there. He's a PK fan though, rather than a Senna fan like me. So it was a uh, so he's he's still a Senna fan. Don't get me wrong, but his his hero is PK. Um, this was all before PK has said and done various things though. So I don't know whether his opinion has changed. Do, 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 does that include um, when he tried to kick uh, Elio De Angelis in the bollocks? Back at the Hockenheim <laughs> ring, uh, if anyone might remember that one, um, yeah. But then all the the hoo ha between him and uh, R. Nige uh, in in the mid eighties when PK was well uh, Nelson PK senior. I do have to admit, mm. we have all seen uh, what's been talked about. Reference PK senior saying very very inappropriate, unpolitically correct things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I messaged him, pointed out that I had, you know, I have the microphone, I have the kit, uh, I have the training. Uh, do you want me as the commentator for this thing? And, and he said, sure, let's, let's do that. And so for the first season, what it was, it was me recording the races with me commentating and then cutting them down into, into a smaller sort of highlights package for YouTube. But the problem was, is living in rural Scotland, your internet's a bit terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was never actually able to upload any of it. Um, I still have them on a drive somewhere. Uh, so maybe for historical reasons, I can upload them to, uh, to the league at some point. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so that was, that was my, that was my beginning really. And it became this, this pet project it started as the R Formula One racing league, then to the Formula Reddit series. And then it's been rebranded again to FRS. Uh, and through a series of strange circumstances, I'm now in the, uh, the the sort of uh, it's it's referred to as the commissioner role uh, in that i.e. I have ultimate control over the F1 side of things. We've also got a sim server for other sim racing titles, which I've got less of a hands on role oh. with. Uh, so very much the F1 side of things is what I is sort of my remit, if you like. But uh, but I've got a great team of admins who 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 do all the all the hard work. Really, I'm just the one who slaps my face on it and commentates on on the on the division, uh, the top division. So, so yes, that's how we got started, really. And 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 flip is the is really the reason why I was able to get that that opportunity to get going, really. And then we had uh, we we've got other great folks over there as well, like uh, Greg Harrison, also known as Harringsord, uh, Sean Provenza, known as Quimbulus. Uh, he, the, those guys are, are great at what they do as well. And, uh, Sean in particular is our, is our head of broadcasting admin. Uh, so he, he handles all of those sorts of things. He makes some wonderful VTs before the, the race gets started, which we commentate over has like, you know, nice fun track facts. It has other bits and pieces in there. It's uh, got wonderful panning shots as well because of some glitch with the game where you can break photo mode. So, um, so mm. yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great little organization. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's good fun. Right. Um, I haven't really, because of the, f- the fact that this has been organized within the last 48 hours of us recording this episode, I haven't yes. been able to find out anything silly on social media about Daniel, but I'm sure that, because <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I actually follow you on any social media, but that can be, uh, that can be changed or whatever, but we'll, we'll Thank skip you. that part because obviously the, the thespian story at the beginning makes up for that. But then also the fact we're talking about Scottish, uh, internet. Hmm. Um, actually, yeah, being in, in, in case in points, I mean, if you ask Jake Sanson when he's up in Cheshire, there's that good old Chester dial up always works yeah. a treat. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you briefly touched on favorite drivers. I mean, um, of course, David Coulthard was the one that your dad said, look, that's David Coulthard. We need to support him. He's from here. Um, yeah. you mentioned Ayrton Senna, you know, hmm. a lot of people, um, Loved the fact of how he was he was so different from everybody else. Are there any other particular drivers that you followed um over over the over the course of your your tenure as a motorsport fan? There have been other drivers to differing extents. I think that as I've gotten older, the the relationship with it has gotten a bit more uh healthy i guess you could say uh because obviously as a kid you sort of you 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 want to back your horse and you want to say no they're yeah. they're mine and 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 so on obviously senna i learned about after the fact because he of course passed away in first uh, of may 94 and i was born in uh, october 95 so uh there was never actually a point where we were both alive at mm-hmm. the same time uh so senna i've kind of gone back after because I, I i like to think that i'm something of an amateur uh, historian for Formula One. Uh, when I was when I was working at McLaren, um, I, I got to know Neil Trundle very well, and he was recently 
uh, at MTC doing an event and he's uh, he's said to the likes of Matthew Jeffries and, and others, uh, obviously it was around the time when they've then gone off to do this uh, this video with the MP44 that's blown up on YouTube a bit recently, which is great to see. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he sort of touted me as as, a, as an amateur historian. I got asked by Matthew Jeffries, uh, I just got put on the spot straight away. I was like, who was it who won this particular race in this particular year and what was the car and uh, and i and i i knew the car and the driver in t- like cuz he cuz i well i didn't know the car and driver who had won the race but then when he said afterwards i was like oh yeah no i know who those drivers are and that team and that car and all that sort of thing okay I'll note that for future. And mm-hmm. it's failing to come to me right this second as to who it was. And, and I know it was a Brabham. That's that's what I remember. It was a Brabham and it was <sighs> Regazzoni, I think. I think that was Lauda's teammate in 76, wasn't it? Yes, because yeah. the fact, yeah, uh, effectively, because that was when Brabham was actually owned by Bernie Eccleston. Yes, yeah. And it was, a, I think it was, I want to say it was Germany in 74, was the was the race in question but uh but yeah anyway so uh so so yeah so i've I, anyway I, back to your original question um okay. tangents tangents and me we have a we have a great relationship uh but likewise um, yeah <laughs> uh and um yeah so we have um yeah Coulthard and senna two drivers that i i've loved very very much uh i think all of my drivers that i've really really followed have had some connection to mclaren to be honest because mclaren has always been my my team that i've supported all the way through my my f1 love affair really so 23 mm-hmm. years now i've been supporting mclaren um and so drivers will come through so these days for instance i mean like lando i i met whilst uh whilst i was at mclaren uh, met him at the Mexican Grand Prix in 2018. That was the second motorsport event I went to, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and even back then when he was the reserve driver for the team, he was in F2. He was doing all these things. He was he, he was much as he is these days, a very approachable, very nice young man who's uh, who's very much got his head, you know, screwed on his shoulders, and uh, and, and um, yeah. So I, I support Lando. Uh, I loved Carlos when he was at McLaren. I still have a bit of a love for Carlos, uh, but he's but he's gone to the dark side now. So so you know we're not sure how much we can we can support it. Certainly though, given his McLaren connection, I support him more than I do Charles Leclerc. As a character, you know? uh, as a character, yes. Mm. But because he's now gone to the mark of the Cavallino Rampante, mm. damn you! Exactly. Um, but I, <laughs> I I I still remember when he when Carlos got the infamous nut shot and. Um, uh, hey, hey, yeah. the, the, uh, the 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 box cup was then uh, was then made for him, especially after I think who was it that did it to him? It must have, uh, I Danny, think it was Danny Rick. It was Danny Rick when he was yeah. still with Renault before he replaced Carlos. <laughs> yes. um, and I still remember the the like it's like oi like, and that's, like this rough <laughs> Spanish undercurrent. And I was just yeah. like thinking. He's, uh, and I was like thinking, he's picked that up off of Lando. No Spaniard mm. in their right mind would like say "oi" in that in that kind of mm. vernacular, unless yes. you were with a British teammate. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, um, I mean, any anybody else in particular, like say from the world of sports cars or, or other tin top, you know, other series. Ah, well, this is the thing is that with, I mean, with others, I mean, if we briefly keep it within Formula One for just another couple of seconds, we've got Hamilton and Alonso. Both of them fantastic drivers. I mean, Alonso in particular, you really got a sense of just how impressive he was in 2018. Like when you were in the team, you were seeing what he was able to do and what Stoffel was not. Um, mm-hmm. that, and then, of course, that's in addition to all of his various achievements prior to that point. Uh, and then Lewis, for, for obvious reasons. I actually had a, I had a conversation with, a, um, with one of our, our team members at the time, who's still there and who I won't name in case this were to be embarrassing for them. Uh, but uh, but they had worked with various drivers over the course of their career, and and I asked them of the drivers you haven't worked with, who would you want to work with? Uh, and they sat there for a moment. They thought about it and they said Hamilton. And it's like, oh, so you won't hear you won't hear when when Lewis was here. And he said, no, 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 I was a different team. And uh, and he explained how essentially the what what happened within McLaren and I would imagine what probably happens inside Mercedes as well is that Hamilton would uh, over the course of, uh, you know, Friday and Saturday practice sessions, Hamilton and his teammate would go out, they would do all of their data gathering because uh, you get over, yeah. over one and a half to two terabytes worth of data and just text files alone from Formula One cars over the course of a race weekend. So there's an awful lot to churn through and, uh, and they'd go out and then for the qualifying session that would then come through, there would be a theoretical poll time. 
and a theoretical best time that the car was capable of achieving. So, of course, if they were the same thing, then McLaren are in contention for, or Mercedes, in, in the case of his latter half of his career, uh, are in contention for pole position. And um, he then would go out and set a time faster than what was the theoretical maximum the car was capable of achieving. And that's something which is is something that's remarkable to me and and clearly to the engineers and everybody else as well. It's uh, and, and one of the reasons why <laughs> yeah. people who haven't worked with him do want to work with him because mm-hmm. uh, he's able to just do something amazing with that car. And, I, and I'd imagine that's something that's relatively common to all of the uh, to all of the uh, all the greats, shall we say? Uh, but outside of Formula One, I I must confess I don't really have a, 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 a that much of a deep knowledge of uh, of um, Okay. Of, of of other racing series, really. I mean, I've started to get a bit into IndyCar and Formula E because of McLaren's involvement over there. Um, Extreme E as well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, I've I've liked seeing what Pato Award's been doing in IndyCar. Uh, he's had his very very bright moments over there. Uh, it would be interesting to see this year now with a, a couple of seasons under his belt, see if he's now going to be able to have that consistency to be able to challenge for the championship and uh, with the team now bedded in as well and more funding and buyout of Schmidt-Peterson and all that sort of a thing. It's, uh, uh, it would be interesting to see whether or not we, we have now that, that you know, combination of things that you need in order to do well in IndyCar. So, uh, so Pato, I'd say, is, a, is, is one that I would have a look at over there as well. That's pretty cool, mate. Okay, next question. And it's relating to drivers, but have you ever been starstruck with via racing driver that you've met? Now, you have mentioned Mr. Norris. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, with regards to having been able to go to Grand Prix through working with McLaren, of course, you mentioned about the Mexican Grand Prix. Um, Is there anyone that's really sort of like you've just gone, I didn't really realize that I was going to feel like this when this happened. Uh, there was, well, there was, well, there was somebody who I met who I knew exactly how I was going to feel. Uh, and then it was an even greater feeling than that, which, uh, which I was expecting. And that was when I met David Coulthard. Um, Cause he'd been this childhood hero of mine, supported him all the way through from that initial seeing him in 2000 on the TV all the way through to 2008 when he, uh, uh, when he retired and then, uh, and then, yeah, it was the same Grand Prix, uh, Mexico 2018. I managed to manage to collar him for a second, just be like, Hey, the, the reason I am here or one of the reasons I'm here is you, uh, you are, you're the inspiration to get me to this point. So thank you essentially. And, uh, and a couple of other, uh, gushing fan moments i if i have one regret of that whole weekend it's that i i ran around and i met a lot of people but i never took a single photo uh of of (laughs) me with with drivers i took a couple of photos my uh, one of my uh one of my colleagues at the time took a uh, took a photo of me outside the garage and it's one of my favorite photos that i have uh and and i took a photo of like down the pit lane so from the pit gantry so you had the mclaren pit gantry above and then looking down towards uh the the pit lane entry and uh, and so they're the only photos i have of that entire weekend um and so it was okay. uh, uh yeah but but cool far definitely um but then sort of running around and this is the thing though is that it's something that you that you learn relatively quickly in in formula one i guess is that you they're they're just people you know they're they're exactly like you and me they're just very good at what they do um and what they do is a very very specific job now that's not to say that they're not good at other things as well uh because they certainly are but um but yeah once once you kind of once you've met maybe sort of one or two of them and maybe when you've met some idols and things like that suddenly they then become very very human to you uh, it becomes very easy to interact with them. Not to, not to the extent you become familiar, because that's not appropriate, unless, of course, you genuinely are familiar with them and you and you know friendly and so on. Uh, but but these days, I can I can meet people, I can bump into people, and not really be be uh, too too starstruck or too fussed. Really. Um, now I say all that. I'm sure if I met Lewis one day, it would be total you know fangirling all over the place but uh uh it would be uh but but that's maybe my last exception to the rule i think even if i because uh, seb vettel grew on me an awful lot after he left red bull for example hated him when he was at red bull love him now yeah um and uh and so i think even if i met him and all the achievements he's 
Gavin, and I think maybe of all the drivers, maybe the most similar to me in that he geeks out on the past as well and he loves all of his F1 history and things like that too. Um, yeah, probably would probably would not be too uh, too geeked out if I met Sebastian Vettel. It would be cool, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And if there was an opportunity to, I'd take it with both hands. But uh, but yes, no, that's uh, very much... Uh, uh, yeah, the, fa- the fangirling is reserved for a very select few at this point. Now, with any commentator, Daniel, mm. everyone has the unique style. But then us commentators like you and me, we all have idols. Uh, I mean, of course, I would imagine there's, there's always one that is always on the end of everyone's lips, which is always the great late Murray Walker, who's one of those guys. Um, and at that point, um, I think... Yeah, when you started watching Formula One, when your dad told you to watch Mr. Coulthard and the McLaren, just trying to remember who was on at that point. I think it might have been Jonathan Ledgard or maybe James Allen at that point, if I remember. I think I think I just managed to catch the end of Murray's time, actually. I think uh, it was oh, 2001 brilliant. is maybe when he stopped, mm-hmm. I want to say, because I, de- I, I definitely have rem- memories of him uh, commentating. Like, they're way back there in the back of my head with, like, very, very old uh early life memories and things like that but um mm-hmm. but i definitely remember hearing his voice now whether that was a, as a result of watching like a vt as part of the you know the build up to a race or something or, or whether it was the race itself i don't remember but um but 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 yeah it's i i mean i certainly have memories of murray and then of course as, as i say being something of an f1 historian i've gone back and watched races um both on f1 tv and through other means um of acquiring old races shall we say um and uh and yeah it's uh so murray's definitely up there he's definitely one of them james allen then was the was the majority of, i mean it was james allen martin run was the majority of my early years of watching mm-hmm. uh, all the way through up until of course the end of 2008 when it went then back to the bbc uh then i forget the name of the commentator who was then on for 2009 and possibly 2010 as I think well. it might have been Jonathan Lejard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jonathan Lejard. Yeah, which I, I whilst whilst I whilst the name escaped me there um I I see a lot of criticism for him on the internet and I I don't necessarily understand the criticism. I quite liked his commentary style. It was it mm-hmm. was clear and concise and 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 got the job done. I mean maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe it just lacks that flair that people were uh, we're, we're expecting or used to seeing or wanted to see possibly. So maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe that's the reason why, but then of course you've got, you've got that year, which then everybody I think has a bit of sort of rose tinted spectacles about, which is 2011, which here in the UK at least was then another year of the BBC having exclusive broadcasting rights. And it was yeah. Martin Bundle in lead commentator role and David Coulthard in the, uh, the, the, the role that Martin had had for a number of years up until that point. And whilst it was very, very good, I, don't think it's the the greatest of all time that a lot of people tout it to be because I think that Martin was maybe uncomfortable in that lead commentary role or it, sometimes it felt mm. that way uh, to, to me at least so um, so so yeah it's, I mean it was interesting and then of course after that Sky then gets involved and so you then got David Croft and Martin on that side but I never really watched that because at that point you still had. Uh, sort of live simulcast with the BBC, and uh, and it was then you started to get things like there was a split between okay, half the races are live, half them are highlights, and all these other deals end up happening with free to air television in the UK. And for me, I think if if we were to, I mean, so so going back to the crux of the question in sort of idols and things like that, I think that for me, I would say Murray's up there for sure. Um, then I could very very confidently say Ben Edwards. Ben Edwards yes. for me is absolutely top tier and the fact that so technically i'm not supposed to have f1 tv owing to the fact i live in the united kingdom but there are ways and means dear boy of of getting these things uh and so uh <laughs> and so you know last season i was watching on f1 tv yeah um and 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 for a lot of the broadcast not quite all of them but for a lot of the broadcasts on the f1 tv audio feed rather than listen to the sky feed you had ben edwards in commentary and that was my go-to if he was on commentary for a weekend would listen to him every single time mm-hmm. uh, because him plus you know jolian palmer and uh sam collins they form a really formidable team and uh and so ben even back when I was first starting to get into it, I remember my first ever video game 
first ever video game was F1 2002 oh. uh, on, on the PS2. Uh, and it wasn't the EA one. It was the one that was made by Sony. It was like the, the PlayStation exclusive yes. one. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, packaged with that game was a DVD of the 2001 uh, season review, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. uh, which had uh, Ben Edwards doing the, the voiceover for it. They didn't use commentary from sort of live at the time in the race. It was It was him doing sort of, summary of the action you were watching of that particular race and all these sorts of things so um so so he was a uh, unknowingly to me because you know at that point in in history and life and everything you're only around about six seven years old you don't really and the internet wasn't really a thing in the early 2000s either i want to mm. say as well um certainly not in my house it wasn't um we, we had you know like the beige crt monitor with a beige computer next to it that had the dial-up connection of beep, 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 the, the one that you had to get the organ grind you know the organ winder to to, yeah. to sort of get going didn't you exactly and and you couldn't be on the phone at the same time and uh because otherwise oh i remember that oh my god yeah um so so yeah, these this I'm I'm at that age where I'm sort of the I'm I'm too young really to sort of sympathise with all the people who were like ah I was good in the good old days, but I'm also old enough where I can say to the young folks I know what a VHS tape is and you don't, and it's like you know oh um, as soon as I say, say the words Basimax yeah <laughs> I, I mean I still remember uh, going yeah like all of the cool kids like all of you know all of the fat you know most of the cool cool kids with the families they'd all have vhs then you'd have that you'd have the old one out you'd have the one that go yeah we use betamax why did i bring my videos around on the sleepover then oh no i got that one as well so it's like you had one person that was the was the betamax like divergent so yes the connoisseur do you know the story as to why vhs ended up winning out over betamax I, i can't remember no, so uh, it was down to one industry in particular, and this might be the first time this industry has been brought up on your podcast. So, Go on. this, this uh, it was the pornographic industry. Uh, they used VHS, so therefore that became the popular format for everything else because there was so much money in it. Um, so there you go. Fun fact, and the first time I think pornography has been mentioned on your. Uh, it, <laughs> we've, had, we, we've had thespianism and pornography in the first episode of Commentators Corner in 2023. And we're, actually, in its history. So exactly. We're, well done, Mister Gilligan. You, you've there's two there's two uh, stigmatisms you brought in. Well, through a, a career choice, and then also through a little bit of uh, tactful knowledge. I do yes. have to say. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so but but anyway, yeah. So um, so Ben Edwards, Murray Walker, uh, and then. I'd put Coulthard up there as well because I feel like for the time that I've been watching, he's been a great, uh, he's been a great addition to any commentary team. Uh, he's he's able to give that insight, give that uh, that knowledge and and perspective, and he knows when to step up to talk and when to step back and all these sorts of things. Uh, and then of course you've got to have Martin Brundle in there as well. Absolutely got to uh, for me. So so they'd, they'd be the four I would say uh, as far as my uh, my my idols, my inspirations, my my whatever you want to call them. Uh, but I would say I. I I don't actively try and avoid parroting them, but, I, but there is a conscious effort in my head to sort of, you know, do your own thing. Uh, do it from it. Because a lot of it comes from sort of the actor training and things like that, where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you, you don't want to plagiarize a performance, but at the same time, you, there, there will be themes that are similar because of the, because of the nature of it. You know, if you're looking at a character, for example, you break down the text, you do all your research, you do all these various character tasks that you've, you've got as an actor. Yeah. If you take it seriously, that is, um, <laughs> some of the people, he some says. Of the people, some of the, some of the people I've worked with who they're just like, Oh, I've just turned up. I've learned my lines. Have you done nothing to like prep for this other than learn? Like, no, oh, right. Okay. We're going to have fun. Um, and, but yeah. you know, it's, um, but you know, you do all these things and obviously there will then be similarities. You know, you, there, if you, if you receive a character who is from a particular background and has a particular, uh, set of views and a particular this that and the other then you're gonna be doing something similar like if you're playing like a longshoreman from 1930s new york he's probably gonna have a new york accent so you'll probably have a similar performance to everybody else in that sense he's gonna be talking a bit more like this you know he's gonna be a bit more sort of yeah what's going on um and and so on and um 
uh, yeah, so there will be similarities in your performances, but uh, for the for the context in which you're performing, but you 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 want your own interpretation, you want your own what we would say your own truth, your own uh, your own interpretation of things, because ultimately your performance comes from you. You you become a different you become a different person when you become a character. It's a, there mm-hmm. there have been some great studies on this actually, where they've hooked up actors to sort of you know like brain measurement devices and things like that, and they've sort of spoken to them before they get into the character. And then when they've been in character and then back when they're out of character again and the brainwaves that they're, they're transmitting essentially during pre and post character are the same person. But then when they're in character, it is literally their brain lights up like a different human being. Um, and yep. so it's, you know, so, so, you know, it needs to come from, from you and from a place of truth. And so your understanding of the world and your experiences in the world as well. Uh, but if you start to contrive things, if you start to, try and invent things that uh, you know if you if you carlos science it stop inventing stop inventing uh then uh then yeah. that's uh then then you know you end up you end up then coming into a problem that's where you then start to see unconvincing performances and similarly i think uh, whilst i've not seen it necessarily in any of the commentary that i've seen i think that that's where you would then end up encountering something where something didn't feel quite right when you if you're watching a commentator if someone were just to try and parrot somebody else uh yeah. and rather than forging their own way um so yeah I, I think coming on to what you just said then, that, that's a very, very good point. It's effectively where, say, for instance, people have their own particular catchphrases for starting races, like with mm. Crofty. It's lights out and away we go um, with Murray Walker. And it's go, go, go. George Morgan, our first ever get, guest, actually says, you know, the first light, the second light, the third light, the fourth light, the fifth light. And, it's, and then the lights go out, it's pedal to the metal and it's go, go. And he says, go five times in a row. And I introed him as the man that says go more times mm. than Murray Walker. And it's <laughs> like, it's like you say, commentary is the art of conveyance where in a way we are literally a player on the stage, you know, and we're, we're commentating on the people that are either out on the track in both the real or the, sim racing world and at the time we're recording this uh, people might be wondering why i'm wearing my rotax uh, racing jacket while i'm heading off to spain for the rotax winter cup so i'm going to see uh, some real life motorsport as in karting where i've got 34 races over the course of two days plus qualifying to commentate on and then i've got other bits and pieces um daniel wanted to ask you about the following mm. name three favorite moments in commentary whether it is involving yourself or somebody else. Three favorite moments in commentary. I think one of them's got to be the first time that I did a live broadcast. Mm-hmm. One of the first, yeah, the, the first time that we did FRS season two, Obviously, we'd been trying to get some sort of thing happening with with highlights in season one. Hadn't quite yep. worked for the aforementioned internet reasons. Uh, season two, we then got a guy in called Tom Mack, who then was essentially our director. Uh, and they did the streaming element of it. So I didn't then have to, and we didn't have to rely on my connection, which wouldn't have handled it anyway. Uh, and so I then just commentated off the Discord feed, basically, uh, which is great because Discord has got basically no latency uh when you do a video stream i don't know how they do it it's witchcraft but it's uh it's very it good is. um and so you so i think then just in the knowledge that and at that point as well you know we were still in the pandemic lots of people still locked in at home furloughed if they were in the uk and things like that so um so we were all working from home if they weren't and so we had big viewership it was you know a good 60 70 people or so who were watching us and so it gave me that sense that you get when you are doing a live theater performance for example where you are on the stage and you you get an energy from the audience you know you don't play you don't play up the audience you don't do anything like that because that's Mm -hmm. again that's going back to what we were talking about before that's contrivance that's uh that's uh, taking yourself out of the moment and being self-indulgent rather than playing the truth of the character and of the situation um it's a bit like you know when i've done something before so i did um in 2019 we did uh we did an episode of doctor who and that was uh you know you're, you're up against you're you're a human being running around in a in a jungle that's not actually a jungle it's a it's <laughs> a set that's got potted plants everywhere 
because uh, you know, and and the vases are in shop because we were sorry, we were doing a uh, we were doing a recreation of a 1960s episode, a lost episode of Doctor Who, uh, which the was done in collaboration between the BBC and the uh, institution that I trained as an actor. And so I'd graduated at this point. And they said to me, oh, you can do like a great 1960s sort of clipped English accent. Uh, do you want to come in and do this? Just record these couple of lines so I can get it signed off, basically. And so I did that, sent it in. Then all of a sudden I'm hired and I'm being paid as an actor for one of the, that was one of the earlier paid jobs in my career. And and you go onto the set and it's, as I say, like it was total recreation of how they did it back then. So everything was very basic. Everything was made out of wood. Uh, they, you had potted plants everywhere, as I say, uh, because, you know, if you go back to some of those episodes from the 60s in Doctor Who, you you can see there's just a potted plant there. We're on a jungle planet, but there is clearly a pot there that yeah. you can see the thing sprouting out of. Um, so... So it was all very, very slapdash in a very deliberate way. Yeah. But then when you're on the set there and you're up against Daleks and, uh, and, and giant plants that are essentially this massive, horrible things that are like a bed sheet over an enormous pole with then things stuck to them and stuff like that. It, it makes, it makes your job, it, well, it, it makes people think that your job is then very difficult. And to a certain extent it is, but the, but the thing again is you've got to play the truth of it. You've got to go in there and you've got to say, no, 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 no. To the person that I am now, this is terrifying. You're on an alien world. You're surrounded by all sorts of flora and fauna that you don't know about. Suddenly there are these things, which the other guy says are called Varga plants, which are, you know, they're like zombie plants. They shuffle along on their roots to come and get you very slowly. And if they manage to, prick you with a thorn then you'll turn into one of them and it's horrible uh and then you've got daleks which are these nazis in little tanks who want to exterminate everything and they want to you know and all these things and so you've got to play up the fact that yeah that's terrifying even mm-hmm. though in your head you're thinking this is ridiculous this is sick <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it's, yeah really i'm getting paid for this exactly that's... i get paid i get paid to pretend to be other people for a living how did i manage to wangle that that's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> it's great true um but uh, but yeah, so it's um, what were we talking about before? I we were talking on? about favourite moments in commentary before ah. you, uh, as you said that you love your tangents. I do. And that was, I do. that, folks, was one hundred percent completely freestyle, completely unscripted, courtesy of my welcome guest. So thank yes. you for that, Dave. <laughs> because actually, it was a really really good story. That's the thing, commentary or talking about a story is about conveying something, conveying mm. something that's of interest that. As soon as you hear one thing, you're expecting, well, what is he going to say about it next? And that's what we do as commentators. So, you know, we were talking about favorite moments in commentary and you were talking about uh, when you were about to do your first ever commentary as well, weren't you? Yes. So, yeah. So, so back, back to that. Um, yeah. So the, I think I've, I, I've identified in my head in, in that moment you were speaking there as to, as to why I went on that particular tangent. So it's, it's to do with this idea that I'm on a live broadcast in front of a live audience for the first time in a little while. Cause it was obviously, it was during the pandemic. I'd not done any theater work. I still haven't done any theater work since I was in training. So 2017 was the last time I did live theater work. Since then, mm. obviously I've done plenty of other bits and pieces in recorded media. And if I'm honest, I kind of prefer recorded media, but, but yeah, you, you get that energy from an audience in live performance. And then as it turns out, when you're then doing a live virtual performance, you still get an energy there in the knowledge that there's an audience listening to. Um, and so, and so it was very excited to make that transition across from the recorded performance of, of, uh, of highlights and so on, then to the, uh, to, to the exciting stuff of, of a live broadcast, uh, live yeah. and uncut. So, so that's definitely one of the, one of the, the big moments in commentary for me. Uh, I think then another one has got to be, uh, Canada 2011. Uh, because that was the, that was the, that was the dream team that a lot of people refer to. That was, Brundle and Coulthard, four-hour-long race, button in and out the pit lane however many times at the back uh, of the six, field, yeah, six times. Uh, six times. Uh, take, yeah, Hamilton and him coming together on the start-finish straight, then Sebastian yeah. Vettel loses it with half a lap to go in the chicane. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was a race I was in school at the time. I was, uh, I was what was I doing that year? I was in the first year of my GCSEs that year. So I was in year 10. In oh, school. okay. And, uh, 
And so I was, I was sat there watching and, uh, and I went to, uh, for, from, from year three to the end of upper sixth, I went to a, I, I went to a, a private school. Uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, we've, like I alluded to earlier on, we've never really been until sort of recent times after, uh, you know, unfortunately for me, after I've then moved out and become an adult, uh, yeah. my, my family's never really had money up until that point. Uh, and, and even then whilst on, on, you know, on paper, my folks have money in, in reality, they don't because it's all being spent on things like mortgages and things like that, which they've had yeah. to get so late in life because of the, the aforementioned military service. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so the reason that we went to private school was then because of the military, uh, because they, they paid for it, essentially. They paid, I think it's like they paid 95% of, of a boarding school, uh, fee, because it essentially it gives, it gives the child stability, gives you roots, gives you friends, gives you all these things. So the place that I'm in now, my flat, I share with, uh, well, formerly shared with three of my friends that I've known for now over 15 years, uh, that mm-hmm. I went to school with up in the Northeast of England. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and it's only recently changed because one of them went traveling in Southeast Asia for five months and they didn't want to pay the rent during that time. So we've got someone else in now who's, who's new and they're great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in terms of that Canada, 2011, so I was in school, I'd gotten special permission to stay up late to, and, you know, do my home because the race would have been on whilst I was doing my homework essentially. So I, so I did homework early. I, I mm-hmm. got permission from the house master and all these sorts of things. And I was, uh, and I was then sat watching it. And then of course, because of all the rain, it extended it and extended it and extended it. <laughs> and I, and I remember final lap button comes by and, and obviously I was a Hamilton fan more than a button fan, but it was still a McLaren and it was still a British driver. Yeah. And they were still overtaking Sebastian Vettel, who, as mentioned before, I didn't like at Red Bull. At so that point, yeah. mm-hmm. at that point, yeah. So I, so I see him going off. I see Button going through the loudest cheer in my life. And then all of a sudden the teachers. So we had, we had the, what we called the junior common room, uh, was, was yes. where I was sat. Mm-hmm. And so it was, uh, there was the TV in front of you there. There was a couple of, couple of sofas and, uh, and a pool table behind you. And then it was all sort of encompassed by a banister. I think because that used to be open, like you used to be able to look mm-hmm. down into the ground floor of the school and then they'd filled it yeah. in at some point. But just behind the banister was the tuck shop, the sweetie shop. And, oh, yes. Uh, and that was being manned by the deputy head of, uh, the, the deputy housemaster at the time who was on duty that evening. And their reaction to me suddenly going, yes, when a bunch of people in the rooms just there and there were supposed to be sleeping <laughs> was, was, Daniel, shut up. <laughs> so I remember that one quite clearly. And then the other, the other thing in commentary, uh, which I would remember if, we, if we're only picking three, uh, would be, again, a one which was someone else rather than me uh, doing it. And, and I think this one is something which obviously anybody who was watching F1 in the mid-2000s in the UK is going to know, is that clock. You know, that's, that's the moment when we suddenly got, for me, it was the first ever British champion in my lifetime. So it was, so it was a moment there of being an F1 fan for at that point, eight, nine years or so. And that was the first time that not only my team had won, but my driver had won as well. Uh, where, you know, 2005, 2006, I'd sort of ish supported Alonso. I hadn't really mm-hmm. wanted to in 2005 because he was against the McLarens. But then of course, when McLaren yeah. were a bit more out of it in 2006, I was a bit more inclined to support him. Uh, but then. And then, of course, the heartbreak of 2007, missing out on by one point for both McLaren drivers. And then, of course, all the other things to do with Spygate and other bits and pieces in the Constructors' Championship, which means that even still to this day, despite the successes they've had since, uh, McLaren's last Constructors' title in 1998. Uh, so a long, long time ago for Constructors' glory. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, it's uh, so so that one that sticks in the memory. I remember that day. I remember me and my dad suddenly jumping up off of the sofa, be, uh, saying all sorts of things that would not be appropriate for this podcast. Uh, well, I said I said the word bollocks in this podcast, so I, but I, I think I, I think I'd, that would go a stretch too far with what you and your dad said at that point. Yeah, we, we'd be dropping <laughs> f bombs. I'll be honest. It's it, it's, oh, a bit yes. like a, it's a bit like a twelve A film. You're allowed one f bomb. Where do you put it? <laughs> it's like any right more to than the that, end. it goes up to up to a fifteen. Um, I think they dropped, I think they drop an F again, off topic for a brief second here, but I watched Avatar 2 the other day. I'm fairly certain there's an F bomb in that film. Well, um, I haven't seen that one yet. So. I'm not, not going to spoil anything, but I just, no, I, no, no. I, I'm fairly certain it, when you do see it, message me if you also spot it. Mate, I'll be um, straight on the Discord. I'll be straight <laughs> on the Discord sliding into your DMs and saying, yeah, actually they did. Cheeky yeah. Beggars. 
Um, yeah, and then of course after that we uh, we actually had back to back British teams and champ. Well, a British team with a British driver, Braun GP, and yep. uh, the man who was going to be his teammate in 2010, Jensen Button. So. Yeah. Last ever time that we've actually had two different British drivers back to back as world championship drivers in Formula One. Yeah, and and the the greatest the 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 most fun thing you can do with with discussion of those two as well is 2008 championship is won by a Mercedes powered British team with a British driver, <laughs> driver. in mixed conditions uh, with uh, the number 22 on the front of the car. Yep, and then in 2009 it was a Mercedes-powered British team with a British driver in mixed conditions in Brazil with the number 22 on the car. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's great. I'm sure there'll be even more things that you could that you could pull out there as far as similarities are concerned, but they're just the ones I can go do off the top of my head. It's great. <laughs> Isn't it great when sport does something silly like that and it's just organic and it works? It's great. I love it. It, it, it does. It does. Um, well, the final question before we wrap things up, thank you very much for being a guest here, Daniel. It's been an absolute hoot. I know this is a long episode, folks, but it's been one that's been filled with tangents, ta- uh, factual trivia of, of, of the relatable kind and then the uh, the complete random kind when we talked yes. about the pornographic industry and VHS Betamax uh, yeah. <laughs> earlier on. But final question, and I always like this one because this has a, it's a double-edged sword kind of situation. It's two flip sides mm. of the coin. So, I asked my guests this question, folks, if you don't already, already remember the format on this. I asked my guests the question, and then I have to provide my response to said question as well. And said question is, if you had an unlimited budget and you could choose any car on four wheels that's I, that is currently being used or has previously been used – and you take it to any racetrack of your choice. There's no glass ceiling on this. What would you go for? That's really tricky. I know the track. I'd take it to Spa. Okay. That's easy. But the car is really difficult because I've got what I call the, it used to be the Holy Trinity. It's now the Holy Quadrinity. Um, because yeah, there are these four cars, which I, I yeah, I, I, as you say, if money were no objects, then I would get myself a nice house. And then in the house, a bit like a sort of a mini MTC with a boulevard, I'd have oh, yeah. four cars on display. Okay. On, on, um, on, on the, right. Okay. On this particular episode, because you've got the Holy Quadrinity, go for it. Okay. So... What, what order do you want them in? Do you want them oldest to youngest? Do you want them in any, random order? Any particular order you like. This is your question to answer, and then I will reciprocate accordingly. Okay. We'll go oldest to youngest. So first one would be the MP46 from 1991. Uh, so number of reasons for that. First of all, I think it's the prettiest car that has ever been made. And I say that as a car, not just a Formula One car. I just think that as a car, it's the most pretty thing that has ever been made. Okay. Um, it's obviously then got that whacking great Honda V12 in the back, the last ever world championship winner uh, for a H-Pattern gearbox, last Senna championship winner as well. Great championship scrap with Mansell and Williams that year. Um, it's just, it's everything to do with old school Formula One that I love. The only thing that could improve that car, and literally the only thing, and it's all down to personal preference, there'll be a lot of people who would disagree with me on this, would be if you instead took out the V12 and put in either the V10 from the previous year in 90 and 89, or you put in a V10 from the early 2000s. Uh, that that would be the perfect car then, in my opinion. Um, so that would be car number one. Okay. Car number two would be then the MP416. So the 2001 car. Now that car won a few races, got a few pole positions, but it wasn't a championship winner. And, uh, but it does have significance for me because 2001 was my first full season watching because I obviously got sort of, you know, airdropped in midway through 2000. And yeah, so 2001, first full season, that's the one which I have a lot of nostalgia for, for that season review DVD as well that I mentioned that came with the, with the game as well. And, um, 
it was it was the car in which Coulthard got his best ever championship position in as well. Second place in the championship that year to Schumacher. Managed to beat Barrichello as well, of course, uh-huh. in the other Ferrari. So that gave you some idea of just how well he'd been driving that year, how well the McLaren had been, if not for it being a bit unreliable at times and things like that. Obviously, Ferrari had a bit of a march as well. So in terms, in terms of that, for me, for nostalgia reasons, for a, for a connection to the sort of my roots of my love for the sport, got to be that car. Uh, plus you get that wonderful V10 soundtrack as well, uh, which is just, honestly, if, if I were in charge of the new engine rules for 2026, I would have said, yes, we're going to have all the things that have been agreed, but we're going to get rid of this V6 as the internal combustion engine. And instead you're going to go to a, a V10 three liter again. That's going to be, that's going to be the way nice high revving thing, get it up to 20,000 revs again. Um, so that one is number two in the quadrinity. Number three is then got to be 2008's car, the MP423. Uh, the 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 wonderful thing, I it's it uh, when you see it in person, it just beggars belief that every single thing on that car is there for a reason. Everything there has its purpose. Nothing is put on a Formula One car just for the sake of it. Everything is there because it has a reason, and that reason is to make the car go faster. A uh, bit of trivia for you on that particular car they'd gotten to the end of that rule cycle that was broadly speaking the same from 98 to 2008 and uh that car uh, obviously you had some changes here and there with things like wing heights and all these other bits and pieces but relatively small and so that car was producing enough downforce it was the equivalent of one fully grown african elephant sat on the front and two sat on the back that's how much weight was pressing that car into the ground. Uh, of course, Hamilton winner, uh, championship winner as well. Uh, Got to be that car. The final car uh, is is one which, again, is not being chosen necessarily for its achievements. Uh, but no, that's fair for enough. Its, for its personal connection to me. And driving this one around Spa would be a lot more difficult, I think, uh, because it would be the 2018 car, the MCL 33. Uh, that car... One of the worst in McLaren's history in terms of constructor position and and results and all that sort of a thing. But it was my car. That was the year I was there. I was building that car. I was putting it together. I was, you know, I was doing these kitting orders. I was doing goods inwards. I was doing all these things to help the team to build a Formula One car. And it's the only time I've ever done that in my life. Uh, Unless, of course, you count the work we were doing for the 19 car, uh, before the end of the 18 season uh maybe then you could argue that i've helped put two f1 cars together uh but uh but yeah that was that was my car and and it was alonso's last mclaren unless of course at the end of his aston contract he decides he wants a third round um and uh and and it's and it's got this wonderful papaya livery to it it looks like what you'd imagine bruce would make his car look like in the modern day mm-hmm. uh it has a lot of meaning to me, that car, even though, as I say, it's not uh, particularly successful or good or anything uh, because we didn't get the front suspension right. I have to say, a quadrinity beyond reproach there, Mr. Gilligan. Mm. Um, right. So what now, was your response? Okay. To? Now, I've gone with a bit of a mixture here, but I think you're going to like this as well. Okay. So, in response to the circuit choice, you said Spa, I'll say mm-hmm. Autodromo Nazionale di Monza, the okay. Temple of Speed. Yep. Okay. 1991, you say MP46, I say Williams Renault FW14 with the Renault RS3 3.5 litre V10, which Mr. Mansell was piloting that year. 2001, you said the MP416. I'm going to go with the first ever championship winning car for Scuderia Ferrari for Michael Schumacher, the F1 2000 Ferrari, piloted that year also by Rubens Barrichello. MP420, uh, MP423 in 2008. 2008 was also a halcyon year. Funnily enough, it was the final year that a certain Scott was still racing in Formula One. And so I'm going to go with not just any particular Red Bull, but one car. And unfortunately, this car did not make it very far in the race at Interlagos. <laughs> it is the Wings for Life, RB3. Yeah. And then the 2018 MCL33. 
Well, looking at that, I'm going to go with the RS18 from Renault. Uh, and the reason being because two drivers in that team, one remained the following season and one went on to McLaren the following year, Carlos Sainz Jr. Absolutely. So there you have it, folks. Episode 15 is in the books. Daniel, thank you very much for your time, buddy. It's been an absolute hoot having you on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Alex. It's been very good fun. I've, uh, I've enjoyed it very much. So I've got to ask one final question, and it's for the folks out there. Where can they find you, if at all, on social media? You can find me in a number of different places. Um, so ah. I, have, uh, I have an Instagram as far as social media goes. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, that is at D.A. Gilligan. Uh, Gilligan spelt G-I-L-L-I-G-A-N. Mm-hmm. And not U-N or O-N or whatever else people want to <laughs> throw in there. Um, I've then got a YouTube channel, uh, which has not really got much on it at the moment. But there is a project that I'm working on, which I'm not going to release anything until the whole thing is done. Um, okay. And we're about halfway there. Uh, so that will be youtube.com forward slash at DA Gilligan. Again, nice and easy yep. to remember. And then if you want to watch me play video games and generally hang out, uh, then that would be twitch.tv forward slash Daniel Gilligan. Uh, with, uh, I don't know if it makes a difference, but a capital D and a capital G. And all those links are down in the description below Fuel to find out. Uh, that's it. We've got episode 15 the first one where pornography and thespianism has just been discussed <laughs> in the same episode big thank you to daniel big thank you for you all to watching if you haven't already check out the remainder of the playlist we've got some fantastic guests on there that have already taken part don't forget this is also going to be available very very soon on apple podcasts and spotify thanks for watching we'll see you next time here on commentators corner 